0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of
1: Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. John and Lake Jackson, how can I help you?
2: Hi, good afternoon. I got a question about a front door repair. I've got a, a double front door. Um, uh, one's the main door you go in and out of, the other is has a locking mechanism, you know, on the top and the bottom, kind of mortised into the door. So you right. little slides that go up into the floor and into the frame to lock that door. In um, the bottom uh, of that door, the wood on the inside um, has cracked uh, around that uh, block of, or that basically four by four piece of metal uh, lock that's in there. Um, uh is there I'm you, is there any way to repair that door? I don't know how to reseal or fix that. Um
1: Well, it it's cracked but it it it's not falling apart or anything yet and you, and or you do still no, have all but the pieces, it, correct?
2: All the pieces, everything's there, but it's real wobbly, you know, it, it wouldn't take much of a kick of a foot to uh, break the whole thing and sure. and uh you know no longer secure the door. Right. I don't know if there's any kind of little Dutchman kind of thing I can do to try to uh, uh, replace and put in sound wood in there instead of this the cracked wood.
1: Well, you know, typically all you got to do is you're going to end up taking the door uh, where you can probably work on it a little bit, but uh, you'll put glue down into those areas. Clamp it to hold it tight because what's happened is it, it more than likely some of the glue has dried out over time and broken loose and That kind of got it wobbling and now it's cracked in in a spot But even a crack can be glued back together You'll have to have clamps long enough to compress everything uh, Probably in both directions, the thin direction and the, the width of the door In order to clamp everything and get it back together uh, and actually, for what you're talking about, I you know a lot of times I like to use Elmer's wood glue It, it does a great job, but when you got something that's cracked like that um you might want to take a look at the gorilla glue, and I say that because if you put you gotta get some moisture in there, but I mean that's easy right. to inject just a little bit when you put that gorilla glue in there, you clamp it right away, it expands and pressures into. Wood pores and stuff and holds it together better, but it mm-hmm. as it expands, it also fills all the voids, uh, so it gives you a, a nice finish when it's done and it's extremely strong.
2: But it won't uh, if if the wood against the metal, it won't adhere to that. It's going to be wood on wood only.
1: No, it would it, it to... will adhere to the metal as well. Uh, I just don't know how large that locking uh,
2: mechanism how. You know, you know it's vertically about four inches. I don't know how deep into the door, the door frame it goes.
1: Right. Um,
2: but I guess until I pull the door off the hinges and and try to pull that mechanism or look at that mechanism, I won't know.
1: Yeah. Well, and if you take the door off, you should be able to remove that mechanism before gluing it. Yeah.
2: And, and then, then just reinstall to, okay. it. Okay. Okay, so I guess I'll have to commit myself to pulling that door off the hinges and then yep. come up with a quick solution before uh, any rain hits. Yep.
1: Well, rain's you know. not okay. going to be your big problem as much as being able to put it back no, on the, that night.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, just mostly, uh, you know, before the sun sets, trying to get a door yeah. back on there, solve the thing in one
3: day. Um, yep. okay. okay. All right, you, sir.
1: You bet. Take care.
3: Hello, Stu. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing real good, too. I was calling because I heard your, your show a few weeks ago, but I didn't catch the uh, the name of a product that you were talking about, dealing with um, radiant
1: barriers that can be retrofitted into an older house up in the okay. attic. Energy Q, radiant barrier. Okay. And uh, is that... Type of uh, radiant barrier, uh, kind of a rigid or is it
3: kind of like uh, a rolled up uh, uh, substance or, or how does it, it go on?
1: It's a roll. it a it, uh, four feet wide roll and I think there's a thousand square feet per roll. And okay. uh, you just t- basically, for putting it in an attic, uh, cut it into yep. like 10, 12 foot lengths and go lay it up there like a blanket. And, oh, uh, on on the on the
3: on the floor of the attic, yep, not up
1: yep. on, on the rafters. Okay. Yep. No, just lay it on the floor because, you know, th- th- what you're wanting it to do is keep the heat from getting into the living space. And so by mm-hmm. laying it on the floor, it goes over your insulation, keeps the heat from getting into that insulation, so it allows mm-hmm. it to work better. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, in my in my own house, I put this in 17 years ago. And I've got 3,000 square feet, and I've got about uh, probably 30% of my house has no insulation, just that wow. radiant barrier. And the yeah. area that does have insulation is only about four, maybe five inches thick. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of what mine is. And I run a $200 electric bill during the summer.
3: Wow, that's great. Well, uh, would it would
1: it uh, still
3: work if you put it up underneath the uh, the roof rafters? If because I've got stuff up in the attic, and I think it might help it out to not have such a, uh, a hot it does. attic in the summertime.
1: It does. It'll it'll help it'll help keep the attic from being so hot. Uh, mm-hmm. But you and you can actually put it in both places because that way, cause you're still going to get some heat in the attic, uh, but yeah. it'll still keep it from getting into the living space, which is the energy efficiency part.
3: Yeah, you know, I've, I've got uh, several wind turbines up in the attic, and uh, I'd have to work around those, but I wouldn't mind that at all.
1: Yeah, that's that's easy to do. Okay,
3: well, that's that's what I needed to find out, because uh, I, I think I'm going to spring forward Now,
1: I, I will tell you, because uh, you mentioned you got stuff up in the attic, this yep. product is multi-layer, and it's got a thermal break in the middle, so it can be... Sandwich like, behind sheetrock on walls and, and things like that. And mm-hmm. on an attic, uh, you actually, like, say you got plywood up there to store stuff, you can go right mm-hmm. over that plywood, and you can walk on this and not worry about tearing it, because you can pick it up and try to tear it, and you can't. Okay. Well, uh,
3: my old attic has some some decking, and some yep. of it is plywood, some of it is planking, and some of it is just... Open to the uh, insulation underneath there, so yeah. uh, I'd be hesitant to put it all down there because you might step through it accidentally.
1: And, and you can uh, typically, what the manufacturer recommends is uh, to use a, a can of paint to paint the edges where the uh, plywood is, where you can step, just so you you can remember. But you know, like I said, you don't have to do it. You you, but it's an option.
3: Okay, well, that's a that's a good good concept.
1: All right, any other suggestions? Get it done before it gets too much hotter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Very good. Thank you for all that information, and I love your show. Thank you, sir. Jim, how are you today? Good, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. I have a question about staining interior
0: concrete. What are okay. the pros and cons of it?
1: Well,. It depends on the person, first of all. Uh, And and I say that because, uh, you know, for some people, they love stained concrete. Other people, the day they buy it, they're going to put carpet or wood or something over it. So it, it is a personal choice. There really is no pros or cons as far as doing it. You just have to understand it is a wear item, and that's why typically it has a clear coat over the stain, because that way... The the clear coat wears and you can add another clear coat in order to keep the stain looking the same all the time. But some people prefer even the the weared look on the stain so they don't do a clear coat. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I personally prefer other flooring tops than, than a stained concrete, but I've seen some that I think are just gorgeous. Uh, there's a company out of Dallas that I saw do some uh, Dalworth uh, carpet cleaning place, but they do other things. Right. And they ground the surface down and got into the rocks in there, and it just looked gorgeous with the clear coat they put on it. They put no stain or anything, just ground the surface, and it really looked like a high-end finished floor. I I did like that one. Right. Well, you can see the limestone rock and the concrete. Yep. Huh. Well, I guess with a, I guess it had a translucent look with the clearer on it once.
0: Yeah, once it, it,
1: it it was it was really gorgeous. Now the one downside on doing floors that way, you know, all concrete cracks by nature, and those cracks Under stick right. out like a sore thumb sometimes.
0: So. But, one other question is uh, stain versus the paint that, like Home Depot and Lowe's, sells for concrete yeah. that gives you can give you a similar look, but for a far less cost.
1: Yeah, and for a lo- uh, uh, for a far less permeability too. Uh, the that is a paint that goes on the surface and it does wear. And uh, you know when you stain concrete, it, it typically you're able to see through it to the concrete a little bit. When you paint it, you basically got a solid color on the concrete. Uh, it just doesn't give you that same effect.
0: All right, I see. So uh, uh, one other question on stained concrete, an installer's telling me that you have to go in there about every three years and re they're calling it a wax
1: yep that's that clear coat on there oh so the clear coat okay well i was just curious what your opinion on that was yeah you know a lot of times people want to do it thinking it's going to be maintenance free and and it it really is a lot more maintenance than doing wood or tile or carpet or anything like that uh so, only, I recommend to people only do it if you like the looks of it. Yeah, because it's def—it's definitely not going to be a maintenance-free floor like a lot of people think it is. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate you giving
1: me a little heads up. It's always better to have a second opinion. Let's head to McKinney. Hello, Mike. Hello, Jim. How you doing? Wonderful. How about you? Terribly
0: good, awfully good, and horribly well. <laughs> well how can i help you i'm confused okay here's what i got i got a patio a concrete patio out of our back door It's so down about uh approximately two inches from the uh, threshold of the back door it's uh seven and a half by eleven and a half we want to extend it because we plan to install a pergola with a clear roof not at this time but first we we um but we're making plans for that my question is: Do I butt up to this patio? No, we want to extend it out another three feet, and then over to the. If you look look about the back door, over to the right, over to the cedar fence, just right before the cedar fence, and then make a hard right turn about another three foot. In other words, make an L shaped patio. So my question is: One, do I leave the existing patio slab in place, or Do I pull that one out and just start all over again?
1: And what are you going to put on top of it?
0: It's just a patio. I mean, we're trying to make it so that, uh, oh, oh, we're going to put a pergola. A pergola with a clear roof.
1: Yeah. So you're going to end up having some poles come down on the corners when you do that. Uh, If it was me, no bigger than that patio is, I would take the old patio out. So that I've got okay. one chunk of concrete there. It'll look nicer. It'll perform better. And then around the perimeter edge, I would actually put a little bit of a grade beam. Because you're going to have load on, on there eventually when you put that cover over it. So and put a footer in. Put a footer in.
0: Okay. Take the patio out. Put a footer in. All right. Now... I don't uh it was there some uh another suggestion there. I didn't want to stop it. I have Oh no, that
1: questions. no, that was it. because uh, that that'll just make it strong All enough right. that you can do what you want with it then.
0: Okay. All right. That, what is it about two foot deep for a footer?
1: Oh no. Uh, on on something work? like this I would probably go no more than twelve inches. Twelve inches? In addition okay. in addition to the four inch concrete on top.
0: Okay. All right, so about, down about twenty inches or so, somewhere around in there.
1: And this comes from James in Waco, and he says, "Current new construction cost, Jim. Thanks for your show. Would you tell me the cost of a new construction house per square foot on a slab and a pier and beam? Also, does this cost include the f- the finished floor, kitchen, and bathroom cabinets? Well." Typically, when you talk about the cost per square foot, yes, you're you're including everything, but the items that you just listed—the floor, the cabinets, and, and things like that—that's what makes a huge difference on the cost per square foot, because the the framework, hey, that's going to be the same for whether it's a million dollar house or you know a hundred and twenty thousand dollar house the The cost of a two by four is the cost of a two by four, but the finishes, custom cabinets versus off the shelf, granite countertops versus Formica, um, uh, ceramic tile versus marble floors. That's where the big cost difference comes in, and so you know when you start talking about cost per square foot, it really does depend on the finishes. Quite frankly, the the difference in the cost of doing a concrete slab versus a pier and beam, there isn't that big a difference. Is there a minor difference? Absolutely. But it is is minor in comparison to the cost of all these other items that we were just talking about. Right now, because of the way materials have gone up and and now the cost of fuel and and things like that are, are really driving the cost of everything, we're up in the $250 to $325 a square foot. And that's $250 to $325 per square foot, depending on the finishes and things that you want to go with on the house. And, you know, prior to the cost of fuel skyrocketing, our prices would have stabilized and actually started dropping by now. But now with the cost of fuel... Uh, you know, you want to order sheetrock. Well, that's got to be delivered. Uh, the materials to manufacture the sheetrock had to be delivered to the plant. All of that fuel cost has just skyrocketed, the cost of everything. And the unfortunate thing is that there's no end in sight to that, and so I think those costs are going to continue to go up. And, you know, quite frankly, once... The cost of fuel stabilizes, and I think it will again someday. We're not going to see the cost really come down because we're all going to be used to paying it already. The supply chains, you know, the manufacturers and the middleman and all that stuff, they're going to all say, Well, we've been getting it, let's keep the price up. Uh, So I don't see the cost of construction changing dramatically in the in the next couple years anyways. Uh, what is changing is the fact that the interest rates are going up a little bit has started to limit who can buy a house and how much house you can buy. And so we may start seeing a little bit smaller houses being built again instead of everybody starting off with a you know 2500 square foot house. anyways, just my two cents there. What is a ballpark figure for a 5 ton 16 sear AC system replacement? Are we talking in the range of 1500 or 15,000 or more? Well, honestly, it, it, it's kind of like building a house. It's going to depend on what you go with for a system. You know, if you go with a single speed versus dual speed versus variable speed, but 1500 is not getting you anything. That that's uh, not going to replace it much of anything anymore. Uh, You are probably going to be, depending on the system, anywhere from eight to twelve thousand. That's going to kind of be your average area, and then as you get into the fancier systems, it can go up. Uh, Right now, in my opinion, the sweet spot on air conditioning systems are between sixteen and eighteen seer. And, you know, typically you're going to want to look at either a dual speed or variable speed. Uh, It it really does make a big difference on the home energy efficiency of the system. Uh, But if your system has been weak and you're thinking, well, I'm going to see if I can make it through this year and, and I'll replace it next year, you may want to start looking this year. Because once again, the feds have stepped in with their energy codes And where you can right now still buy a 14-seer, which is very economical to to buy and have installed, come January 1st of 23, no longer able to do that. Uh, It's going to step up to a 15-seer system, and that's going to push most people into the 16-seer range. Uh, On top of that, they're starting to work on mandating uh, dual-speed fans as a minimum and so the single speed 14 sear really cost-effective system to replace is going to become a thing of the of the past so if you're thinking that you need an AC system you you know unless you're going to go with with the higher end systems and there's nothing wrong with that I mean I personally have a an 18 sear variable speed in my own house that I replaced earlier this year uh, you know, uh, then you can wait. But if you want a really inexpensive system, you're going to want to do that before the end of this year.
0: Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us.
1: Let's head into Dallas. Norman, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Quick
2: question. It's the wrong time of year, but... Uh, this past winter, I've just i got this old house, 1942 number, and the floors were just freezing. You yeah. know, and I was wondering, I've got good crawl good crawl space under part of the house, and I was wondering uh, if stapling some uh, insulation uh, um, uh, on under the floor might make a difference in the area
1: where I've got access. Good access to the
2: to the uh, under the pier and beam
1: foundation. Oh, yeah, it'll, it'll make a huge difference because it, it's going to rot the heck out of those boards. Oh, <laughs> so well. not a good difference, but it'll make a difference. Um, well. and, and here's a hit the bad part is a lot of engineers are actually calling for that right now you know, when they on the building codes to put insulation underneath there. You can put a spray foam. Close cell radio, uh, insulation and have yeah. no problems because it doesn't let any moisture into it, so it doesn't hold moisture against the wood. But if you use fiberglass or cellulose or any of those type of products, yep. you know the, the the moisture that's underneath the crawl space soaks into the insulation and holds that moisture against the wood, and in a matter of just a few years, you've got tens of thousands of dollars in damage.
2: I guess I'm not going to do that.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I'm in foundation repair, and I, yeah. I can tell you at least once or twice a month, I'm getting calls on homes that are like five and six years old, and the underside is just destroyed, just from stapling that uh, that insulation up against it. Yep. Okay. Yep. But the uh, but the spray foam stuff would work. Oh, yeah, it works great because, like I say, it, it, it doesn't take... A, but it's got to be a closed-cell spray foam. They make an open cell and a closed cell. Uh, make sure that, that you use the closed cell. We have a 1920 Pyram Beam bungalow. We have noticed a musty smell. We had fiberglass insulation that was sagging, and based on some things we heard on your show, we removed the insulation. We also had the air tested for mold and did not find anything. The smell has persisted. It seems to be worse during humid weather or after rain. Any ideas? We also would be happy to pay for a consult if you'd be willing to come out. This is in the Heights area. Well, Katrina, I, I will tell you, uh, what you're smelling is you know, from the moisture underneath there. And when you had the fiberglass in, it was holding moisture against the wood. And I'm betting the odor is in the wood itself. Now, it's not that this can't be handled, uh, and it's actually a pretty easy handle. Typically, all you got to do is have an exhaust fan installed in one of the vents under the home, and that will draw air across the underside of the home and and push it out with the fan. You don't want to blow air under the home. You want to suck the air out from under the home so it's drawing fresh air in underneath. And that normally, after a period of time, will, will if not eliminate, reduce that uh, musty smell you have drastically because it'll dry it out underneath there. What's happening when it rains or we get high humidity is the moisture content is just skyrocketing. Now, as far as somebody coming out to take a look at it, Uh, You know, you can call my office at Due West, and it doesn't cost anything to get one of the guys out there to take a look at it. Uh, Personally, I just don't uh, nowadays have the time to go out to very many appointments. And based on this email, yours is a pretty easy fix that any one of my guys would be able to handle. And and if for some reason they can't, they know how to get in touch with me while they're there so we can go over it and... uh, get your problem addressed so just give the office a call at at due west and they'd be more than happy to help you out but uh you did the right thing getting insulation out you've just heard the best calls and questions from
0: texas home improvement for more information about our show go to